0: Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group, recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Here's another edition of Takeaways. This one is is very different. This is the first time I'm doing an episode, not with my guest sitting in front of me, but this is being recorded by Zoom. So that's a sign of the times. My my guest today is Noah Perry-Gensch. Noah is a senior director of strategy and the director of the Las Vegas region for the Israeli-American Council. She's a specialist in high-performing teamwork and leadership consulting. Noah holds an MBA in international business and is the former regional director of training for Marriott International. Marriott was just in the news, so I don't know if if there's anything there to talk about, but certainly from your previous life as a regional director of training, we'll talk a lot about that. So thank you, Noah, for spending your precious Sunday on an (laughs) episode of takeaways with me.
1: It is my uh, absolute pleasure, Chaim. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So those were my words, my introduction of you. I'll invite you to spend a few minutes. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do.
1: All right. Um, so I've, my name is Noah, and I've been living here in Las Vegas for now almost 11 years. Never thought that i will be staying here for that long. I thought it would be a two-year stint, and off to the next exciting uh, place. Um, Slowly Vegas sort of grew on me uh, as it happens to many people. And now I've been living here for 11 years. I have uh, two daughters, uh, Leah and Emily, 17 and 15 years old. So teenagers um, and a wonderful husband, uh, Bob, who is now running the Hilton in Lake Las Vegas. Formerly he used to run the Ritz Carlton in Lake Las Vegas. Uh, and that was actually the reason, funny, you mentioned hotels, um, the reason why we moved here uh, 11 years ago from um, from Hong Kong, China. Wow. Yeah. But I probably should back up a little bit. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Israel. And... Oh, that's where
0: the accent's from?
1: Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, my heavy Israeli accent. <laughs> and um, born and raised in Israel, uh Great parents, uh, still alive and kicking. Uh, four siblings, so uh, a family of five uh, kids. Uh, definitely, you had to, um, you know, be be there and opinion it to to get your get your things, and um, and then I served in the military service, which is unusual. A lot of people in Israel, as you know, uh, serving. I was very very fortunate to serve in the intelligence force at the time. Um, Met some great people who now are leading the cybersecurity world and um, a lot of other really important things. And after the military service, I was thinking, Israel felt so small. The whole world is out there. And I thought that my profession for life, to be honest, I actually uh, was thinking I might be going to psychology. I was thinking it would be great to work with people and listen to their problems and all of that. And um, luckily, uh, I didn't get accepted to the division. And I was thinking, what else can I do with people? And immediately, I was thinking about hospitality. So I got my uh, associate degree in Israel and then moved to America. It was a big dream of mine. I went to Providence, uh, Rhode Island and graduated there. With a BA in hotel and restaurant management and then started working immediately for Marriott and uh, which I will talk more about Marriott a bit later because there has been big news coming out of the CEO uh, Arne Sorenson a few days ago but as I was working in the hotel business I realized ooh, I know I love people but Working in during the weekends holidays and holidays, and operation was very, very intense. And I figured I'd better get something a bit broader. And I signed myself up to an MBA in international business. Uh, the reason why I say it all is because sometimes in life you are planning, um, you are planning your career. You think that you know what you what you want to be doing in life, and you don't always get what you want. But um, I was you know, through my work with Marriott and I moved into training and human resource and I found myself coaching and counseling and working with a lot of people that sort of reminded me of what my career could have been if I went to psychology and became a professional therapist. And then I was doing that, um, worked many years for Marriott and at some point uh, Marriott asked me to relocate back to Israel because they were opening the first Marriott in Nazareth. That was back in 99, where they thought the year 2000 is gonna bring lots of tourism to Israel and we don't have enough hotels. At the same time, they asked my future future husband uh, to also relocate from a different Marriott property in the States. And we both met in Nazareth. He was an American boy from uh, Minnesota. And here we met in Nazareth working um, in a very diverse culture with Israeli, Jewish and Arab Christians and Arab Muslims. And they were all sort of part of that mix. And, um, and we opened the hotel successfully. Then my career took me off to Romania and then I became regional director for Merit in Europe. Um, fast forward, we got married um, and then we had two girls, we relocated together to Jamaica and then Hong Kong and then Las Vegas. So as I said, when we came to Las Vegas, I was sure it would be two years, um, and then off to some other exciting place. Uh, but, uh, you know, you make some plans and, and life happens and, uh, and eventually you figure out, uh, that sometimes when life happens, it's, it's even better than the plans you made for yourself. And I think that was the case for me. Because I stayed in Las Vegas and I was working with different companies, um, on consulting base until one day the, I heard about this IAC thing, organization that came to town, Israeli American. And I was thinking, that's perfect. That's me. I'm Israeli. My husband is American. That's probably for us. He eats pancakes for breakfast. I eat Israeli salad. I'm sure this is what this organization is about. Um, and the more I got to know it, I realized, uh, the mission behind it, which, uh, was really um, important to me on a personal level of connecting the next generation here in America to Israel and Jewish identity and, and uh, making sure that Israel is always positioned in, in a positive uh, place and, and being recognized for the contributions that uh, are coming out of Israel that are serving the entire world. And, um, and I became involved as a lay leader and, a bit later, I was asked to run it full time. So that's what I do today. Uh, I've been doing it for the past four years. And six months ago, I was offered to take on addition, an additional responsibility of um, expanding our young professional network uh, for the organization across the country. Uh, this is called the Edge. And that's keeping me busy. Uh, Full-time and of course the community the growth of our community the needs of our community here in Vegas and so um, My life is busy and it's so nice to be here on a Sunday afternoon with you and drinking my tea and just relaxing
0: So, you know right there we, we talked about at the beginning, you know This show is not going to be about the IAC and what you do with the IAC actually episode 32 of this podcast takeaways was with the CEO of IAC, the Israeli-American Council, Shoham Nicolet, and he talked more about uh, the ins and outs of the IAC, you know, mostly big picture, but also practically day-to-day, what kind of programs you deliver. But it is important to underscore and emphasize, literally the work that you do day in and day out as a professional is connecting people and building community. Correct. And it shouldn't be lost on anybody right now as we sit here with the coronavirus among us and in self-quarantining, the obvious question is, how does an, an organization like the IAC that is 100% about making interpersonal connections and building community, how do you operate at a time like this? What is the focus?
1: Wow, such a great question. And a question that every single company, in not even America, around the world, in every single part of the world, People are sitting and asking, how is my business going to change? What is is that I need to make sure that I manage the change and the change doesn't manage me? And I have to say, um, truly, we are really, really blessed with a a fantastic CEO that um, is sort of leading uh, leading the organization um, very fast, very quick uh truly transforming transforming everything that we used to do last week uh we we created a whole new organization in, in just few days um pulling everyone from across the country uh, looking at even the basics the hours of our employees across the country now it's in one bucket and there's no more oh my part my division my job my thing my area my city there's no language like this anymore. We are looking at one organization uh, and how we support national efforts and using everybody's talents and all the resources possible to, to, to st- not to stay relevant, because we were relevant, but transforming uh, what means to be relevant. Um, obviously, like everyone else, we all quarantined. We, we had to stop immediately all our activities, our face-to-face activities. And build a whole new platform of online um, services and content and um, so pretty much our strategy did not change we're still the organization that is about building community it's about connecting people but the how changed drastically and it's still changing and evolving and so I would say on a personal level and I was thinking, and I actually had a, a conversation with Sean about it on Friday. And I said, you know, everything that made me really good at my old job, mind you, my old job was last week. Uh, everything I knew, uh, you know, in fundraising, in uh, activities, in connection, in events, in all those things that I knew so well with my eyes closed are not relevant anymore. It's like, it's like somebody t- took your... Um, the the old rules, the diskette, and just took it out of your brain and put a new one and Mm -hmm. say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what, what we used to be good at. We have to, for us to stay relevant, for us to move with the change and ride the change if it was a tsunami wave. You know, you can either be on top of the wave and navigate it, you know, go with how the wave is going and adjust and become... Agile with your body to, to stay on top of the wave, or you can so easily fall and be under it. And I think uh what, a great analogy. Yeah, <laughs> not that I've ever served, served, <laughs> <surfed>, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I I I watch. I like to watch people surf, and I think it's a, uh, you know, it's it's just something that you don't know what the course is going to be. You can't plan. You know, when you say you know what, I'm going to catch that wave. And this is my strategy. I'm going to stay straight. I'm going to take right. I'm going to take left. And, and this is the speed. And this is how I'm going to go to where I want to go. You can't. It has absolutely nothing to do with you, how the wave is going to go. The wave is going to go the way the wave wants to go. It's, it's only you can adjust your every single muscle in your body uh, can be adjusted by you. And, and if you do it well, you stay on top of it. And if you don't you're going to be irrelevant. And I think uh, that is what all businesses, uh, nonprofits and profit are at the moment are looking at themselves and saying, how can I be ahead of the game? How can I ride this? Uh, we don't know how long, how far, uh, how we know it's going to be hard. It's already very hard, but Oh, which by the way, I have to say, I made an agreement with myself yesterday and I just, realized I used it, I failed to commit to myself. I decided on Friday uh, yesterday um, that there are two words that I'm no longer going to use in my vocabulary for the next three months. One of them, and because I don't want to use it, I'm going to spell it for you. It's H A R D. (laughs) I'm not going to use it on myself. I did say the word earlier to just describe a situation, Mm -hmm. but not my situation. I no longer I refuse to use that word. And uh, the second word that I refuse to use is D-I-F-F-C-U-L-T, which is the sister of the first one. And those two words, I find that last week I just heard myself, you know, when I was talking to my team or to friends or colleagues or family, I heard myself saying those two words way too often. Um, oh my gosh, this is so, and this is so, and, Mm -hmm. and I realized that, um, we don't have time for this. And those words have a a negative impact. They truly carry a certain energy, which we cannot afford at the moment to, to absorb not in our bodies and not in our work. And the sooner we just eliminate that, those two words, Mm -hmm. knowing that, yes, it is overwhelming. It is not usual. It's certainly not easy. Um, but we have to use every single fiber of our soul and body to make sure that we are strong mentally and physically to ride this off.
0: You know what that reminds me of? What? In my Vistage group, I learned, I don't know how many years ago it was, you replace have to with get to. And right now, this will really resonate for all the people that used to have to go to the store to buy groceries. Wow, now you... Wouldn't it be nice to get to go to the store or I have to go to the gym? Wouldn't it be nice to get to go to the gym? And you can go all down the line of all those things that you quote unquote have to do and change it with get to do. It has a whole new meaning for it now. It's the same concept as what you're saying, replacing, either eliminating words from your vocabulary or replacing them. And it really changes the way that you live your life day to day.
1: Mm hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. Actually, uh, you know, you and I talked uh, earlier about Stephen Covey and some of the great models that came out in the eighties. Uh, but one of the things that he would say about that, he said, choose, I choose to, you know, when he used an example of kids saying, Oh, I have to do homework. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have to what, <laughs> oh, I have to do homework. I have so much work. You don't have to do anything. You know, uh, why would you want to choose? To do your homework what would happen if you don't choose to do your homework what consequences are you going to carry or will happen should you choose mm-hmm. to go and play you know on your playstation versus choose to do your homework and i think it just kind of prepped that proactive mentality that nothing that first of all that we are not victims nothing happened to us Uh, There's a choice. And even in the worst cases where we feel like, well, none of us choose coronavirus. None of us choose for the economy to collapse. None of us choose that so many of our friends and and maybe it's gonna happen to us that we may lose our jobs. But in every situation, there is um, a small window of choice. Mm -hmm. Because you can't change the change, but you can certainly change how you react to the change. And there's an enormous amount of power in that choice. And so I think sometimes we forget to be um, alert that even if it's small, it, it can grow, depending on our way we choose our reactions.
0: So I don't think you can see, but I've already written half a page of notes based on some things that you've said immediately, some takeaways that I'll, that I'll recap later. Um, so it's clear that there's a lot of substance in your experiences and how you're approaching everything. And before we jump into all the examples that we are going to talk about, like Steve Covey and um, the models, that, you know, one specific model, the circles of concern, the circles of influence, let's go back a bit. And I ask everybody on this show the same question, because um, I want to understand also more where where you're coming from with your perspective. So the question that I asked is, what has been the single most influential thing or event that has shaped you the most?
1: You know, I, I, it's so hard to answer. The, ah, it's not hard at all.
0: <laughs> There's that word again.
1: <laughs> I'm still working this. Um, it's, um, it's wonderful question, honey, <laughs> which I'm so prepared to answer. Um, There's certainly not one event that influenced my life. I think I've been influenced by many uh, profound events. Um, And while our time probably doesn't allow me to share with you all of them, but as I was reflecting on that question, I was certainly thinking about a few things. Uh, So with your permission, I'll just share the three things and uh, you can, you know, uh, tell me if, uh, if we still have time for that. But one question, one one event that influenced my life was actually when my father, um, my father was um, both my parents actually are met in an art school. They are very artistic. My mom ran an art school, and my dad was an art director uh, for an advertising company in Israel. And it's. We're going, when we're going to talk about changes, I, I may refer back to this example, but um, he used to have, uh, you know, a team of graphic uh, designers, people who he can delegate. He was sort of the brain. And back in the time, you know, there weren't computers. There wasn't Macintosh. And so the art director used to kind of give uh, um orders how to paint the letters how big how what font to use and everybody would be hand, manually uh, sketching it and then um he lost his job at some point and the reason why he lost his job and that was a profound uh, experience for me is because um he did not adapt to the change he used to uh sort of um Knowing to do his job in a certain way, and when technology came into the, his life in the 90s, uh, he just refused to learn it. He always uh, told himself, "No, that's not for me. I let the graphic designer sort of figure this thing out, and and um, I'm just gonna do what I do, and, which is create and think and design, and and you know this is this is this is my job." And he totally missed the wave of technology and computers. And it was a profound because it's never easy when one of your parents is losing their job or, you know, with losing an income, come, come more, many more things come. You lose your confidence. You lose some, of, some, some people lose their dignity. They lose their uh, pride or depending how attached they are to their uh, self-worth. Uh, if it's attached to their titles and and what they do, um, and so and so it was a that was one profound experience when because I was a I was at the time I was in my early I was a teenager, sort of late late teenagers in my twenties. And I remember kind of watching it and and seeing it, seeing this, that how he resisting the change. And no matter how much we said, oh, dad, you know, it's not so hard or you should try. Um, he uh, he just refused it. And I felt really sorry for him because um, he could have continued his career in that performance. He had to make a whole new shift and, and started working in a completely different industry. But that was a, a, an event where um, I remember it as paying really close attention to the other event uh, that definitely uh, transformed my life was um, becoming a mother. I was so not prepared for that. (laughs) I was married. Of course, I wanted to have children, but my career was really rising up with Marriott. I had to do, I was 90% traveling uh, to do my job, to being in all the countries that we were teaching classes. And it's just happened and I remember really as much as I was happy, 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 happy to become a mother, I was struggling with the transition of of my identity
0: mm-hmm. at,
1: from a career woman to a mom, and I just couldn't see how those two work and at the time, because I was struggling with it for a long time, um, one book that really helped me at the time actually i I pulled it out the other day because I think we are I, needed right now it's it's called transitions uh, by william bridges it's about making sense of life's changes and i realized that um so so that was a profound becoming a mother because i think becoming a parent is a lot of good things that come with it but what people don't quite realize is the change how much it changes your life and the mental responsibility and the fact that you cannot just sleep as much as you want or or make a small decisions for yourself. It's just you don't expect that, you know, you always think you're going to carry this cute baby.
0: Everyone uh, lies to us and say what wonderful, how wonderful it is to be parents and the babies are so cute and they're cuddly and they're sleeping all the time and then reality hits. Yeah. And they scream and they cry. You have to change their diapers. It's terrible.
1: Yeah. Completely, completely. And I think, and, and so for me, it was a big, big, uh, profound experience because I was realizing sort of the same thing. Remember those two words that I used to, that I told you earlier that I'm not using them anymore. At that particular year, I used those words a lot because mm-hmm. with all love and, and of yeah. course, I love, love. I have fantastic, fantastic daughters, uh, as you know. Uh, but I remember he, just saying that because mm-hmm. I was not prepared for that i was i I did a lot of hard, you know very challenging things in my life, but that was not per se challenging, but mentally because I wasn't prepared for it to be what it was and I saw the transition was uh, a bit longer, and I definitely think that what we are going through right now, this coronavirus, mm-hmm. is definitely becoming another big big in uh, influence point for my in my life and for many many people's life um so before, kind of
0: before the corona what was in the book what was something that jumps out that was so helpful for you when you were making the shift from you know executive at marriott to being a mother
1: so first i i refused to sort of give away like or give up i i insisted to stay in my role and become and and be a full-time mom I, I really had those unrealistic models in my head that a woman should not be choosing. Mm-hmm. If she wants to be a full-time mom and she wants to work. She should be able to do it too. And that's of course, almost a mission impossible when you want to do two things, 100%. And it uh, took me some time to realize that this is um, that an opportunity for me to adjust a little bit my thinking. And I, at that time, uh, reduced my work hours and responsibilities and, um, and eventually became a consultant to Marriott. So I didn't have to uh, deal with all the corporate stuff that comes mm-hmm. with an with a executive job. And, and that's when actually it led into different things that I got to do as a consultant. But I think um, what I realized is that in, when, when change comes, people think that, you know, I got to start changing <laughs> But change doesn't start with a start. Change actually starts with an end. Something is ending. There's something, you're losing something. And before you can actually go to where you wanna go, you have to really first understand, what did I lose? What's, what's finished for me? And I think we, we go through that even in happy occasions in life, you know, getting married. You know, getting married is something exciting, but you're saying goodbye to a lot of things. You, you know, you're saying goodbye to um, the possibility to maybe falling in love again, or um, definitely you have to, you know, you're saying goodbye to your 100% independency and 100% the way you want things to happen, uh, as exciting a disease as as it is. And I think in a negative change, as we are experiencing now, there's a lot of, uh, you have to say goodbye to certain things that uh, were part of your life, certain skills that really served you well and now they're longer, no longer valid or, or relevant. And before you realize what am I losing, my minus one, my losses, and, and just not to dwell in your loss, losses, not to sit there and kind of have a pity party. I wish, I wish, I wish it wasn't this. Mm-hmm. But understanding that something ends, I think, only then you can actually start creating that movement that is very much needed to go through a transition.
0: So senior pastor Kevin Oder was on my episode and he talks a lot about this in the form of grief. We don't think about things in terms of grief, but it's what you were describing in order for you to move on uh, with a new identity of being a mom. You also had to grieve part of your identity of transitioning from an executive maybe to a consultant with your previous company. So let's go, let's jump right in and use this as a fantastic segue because you were about to talk about the coronavirus and this is a change that we're all experiencing and we're all experiencing it together. So using that, what kind of change are we experiencing at the moment from this outbreak?
1: Wow. Um, We are definitely, uh, we're, we're seeing a change by the hour if not by the minute, um, you know it's it, there is a, a quote, and I'm probably going to mess it up now, but it's uh, it's something to do with uh, change has never been so never happened so fast and will never be so slow, uh, and I think this is where we are. We always talk about the speed of change, and you know when we think about you know the type of change. We are very used to strategic change. We're doing it all the time in our jobs. We are strategizing. We are thinking how to uh, create new things, build new things. And that's strategic and you are sort of controlling it. You're prepared for it. And then you have the evolutionary change. The changes just happen, but they sort of very minor. You don't see them like watching your kids grow. You don't see that every day. It's like a gradual change. Uh, that sort of happens, or, or aging, or it's it's happening and you're not seeing it. And then there's the shock change that just hits you in your face, completely unprepared. And I've been thinking about the coronavirus: if it's a gradual change or it's a shock change. Because if I compare it to another big change we all experienced in America, or a big crisis we experienced in America, was 9/11. We we were shocked. We did not see this coming, but this coronavirus—it mm-hmm. didn't just happen overnight. There were signs. It—it it happened. Uh, it started the breakout started in China in November, and you know you kind of watch the news and you think, "Oh, it's in China. It's so far away from here. They, you know, they're always walking with you know masks and this. It's, well, yeah. it's not a, it, its not a big deal." And slowly, slowly, you see the outbreak and how it happened in other countries. I have to say, uh, my family in Israel, and I I will admit, like many Israelis who, Israeli Americans who live in America, we start a day with actually the newspaper in Israel. (laughs) We we open and see what happened in Israel first, and then we check and check our news here uh, in America. Something about our, our hearts are still there. And, and I started reading about it in January, you know, That just this and that, and, and cause they covered it more in the Israeli newspaper than in, in the American news. And, um, and so Israel got to prepare for it a little before here in the United States. And, and so I think, so that's why I said, you know, I think it's, it's somewhere in between, um, it, it's probably still a shock. Even though we knew that something is going to happen, we didn't realize how fast or we didn't realize what the magnitude of that change. And so uh, you asked me how it affected me, uh, a part of the the job, which is, as I said, you know, completely, we are reinventing and building and, and you know, creating new platforms and, and all of that, which is... Uh, be exciting in a different time if it was a part of our strategic change we'll be all excited and happy and and thrilled but it comes in a crisis it comes as as something that we have to react to it really fast and of course that creates enormous amount of pressure but um when i think about the coronavirus on the personal level obviously i think about first about health and safety of, of of everyone around me and I think uh yes, you can lose a job, you can get a new job, you lose money you you'll make money and and um so that is the most uh concerning things and, and in fact um about a week ago, I got a call out of the- you know out of nowhere that uh, someone whom here in in las vegas whom I had a meeting with twelve days earlier. Uh, is positive with coronavirus and is hospitalized at uh, the Summerlin Hospital in critical. In, not in critical, but in, with a inf- lungs infection, Infection, and he's, he's an older man, and so it was critical uh, for the time. I, I was really, really worried about him. Very, such a nice, nice man. Um, but then it took me, <laughs> you know, a few hours later to think, oh, what does it mean about me mm-hmm. um and so you know based on the science or, or what we are what we know is the length of the, you know you can be infected and if you are exposed to someone with a positive uh coronavirus um you need to self-quarantine yourself for an amount of 12 days uh 14 days sorry two weeks mm-hmm. and so i sort of counted when was our last meeting Uh, And I realized that it was 12 days earlier, so I should be at least now keeping uh, two, three, four days uh, quarantining myself. That was before Governor Sisolak sort of uh, came out to the public about this. And um, of course, I contact everyone that was in the meeting with me. Uh, It was a small meeting. So there were two, just three other people. And of course I was thinking, oh my gosh, how many people I've met just these past 12 days. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't even go and, and um, tell everyone that you have to really think hard. Who did you meet in person? Um, luckily my team, uh, we already, as I said, uh, we, not that we were st- one step ahead, but I think we were more relying on the news in Israel. And so we stopped already working from the, our offices. Everybody was working from home. Uh, before it became um, a national instruction. And so I didn't, I wasn't too much, I wasn't in touch with too many people. And those that I were, I definitely told them. And, you know, the days went over. I didn't have it. Obviously, I, I feel well. And, uh, but yeah, but it, it hits home because it's, yeah. it's a virus that uh, goes from one person to another so easily and um no one knows whether you're old or young how it's really going to affect you and i think that's what we are seeing that the virus has different ways to affect people
0: so one of the things that i could tell you has happened is not just my use on my device but i think a lot of people that i know their use on their device has increased dramatically uh they're, they're you're seeing screenshots of iphones have um you know, your weekly usage and, and people are sharing how much more that they're on their phones. Partly I think it's where we're connecting, we're we're getting news as it comes um, and whatnot. But um, you are, so the other thing that people are sharing is I don't know anybody with the coronavirus. Do you know anybody with the coronavirus and, and whatnot? And in my own network, you are the only person that I could think about that knows somebody and was around somebody with the virus. I have one friend who I heard, uh, his uncle was, um, in the hospital with the coronavirus. but that's as close as it's come to me. So it's interesting that you're sharing that, that not only do you know somebody directly, but you were around that person and how you had to have the awareness and the aha moment to react and quarantine yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really hope that you will not know anyone time, but, um, I have a feeling that uh, somehow in the next few weeks coming to us, uh, there's probably going to be every person will know one person. Um, and so I, I, I really, I, as hard as it is, I salute uh, Governor Sisolak for coming harsh with the uh, late, recent uh, press mm-hmm. release saying, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, yeah. uh, because um, life's uh, depends on on that.
0: So it's, so I wanted I did want to talk about that, and it's interesting now that you gave it a frame on what kind of changes it gradual to shock, and I'll sort of you know share some thoughts around that. You and I were actually going to meet for breakfast on March 13th, which was um, how many days ago is that? It was like just just a, two weeks ago or so.
1: Yeah, that's and after I chased you down for that meeting. Took me two that? Weeks. And that was after I had to chase you down for this meeting. Right. Right. And took me about two weeks to, to get your time.
0: And things were, as things were evolving, we decided, you know what, let's not meet in person. Let's have a call. And out of that call, we talked about Steve Covey, which I wrote a blog post about the, what you shared with me, the circles of concern and the circles of influence, which we'll talk more about. Um, but I'll tell you, I send my my blog post out to over 2,000 people. This, in three years of writing and sharing things, this has been, um, I got more responses from that than anything I've ever sent before. But just to go back, you and I were going to have breakfast. It was a Friday. The weekend passed. Our school told us, keep your kids at home for that Friday. Uh, CC, Clark County School District, then came out and said, everyone's staying at home, a few days after that, Governor Cisla came on TV It was Tuesday night, I believe, and said non-essential businesses, all of you people stay at home. so that in a way is gradual, but there's shock in each one of those and leading up to that, you know obviously health is first and foremost next in line, I would say of concern is the, is economic concerns, and in speaking with clients and um, and my colleagues and trying to make sense of what it, all this is, you're lo- I'm, you know, I'm looking for reference points. You mentioned 9-11, that's certainly a reference point. The other one was the global Great Recession. And when I'm thinking about this compared to those two, it's not like 9-11, and it's not like the global Great Recession. However, it's similar to both. And it's, it, it really is helpful for me, the framing of there's gradual change and there's shock change in all of this.
1: You know, uh, some people say that it's the 2008, it's the 2008 uh, crisis and the 9 11th crisis combined, mm-hmm. uh, going through the, that kind of a, um, level of intensity. But the and, thing that's
0: missing from both of those is the infectious part. It's the, you know, 9-11 happened, a lot of people died, a lot of people got hurt, a lot of people got affected, uh, the economy got affected, but you didn't have to worry about hugging somebody. Right. And the global Great Recession, the same, but you didn't, you know, you could still go out and do things. Yes.
1: You know, um, I was actually was in workforce in 9-11. I was running the uh, the, the training and development for merit in Europe. And I re- and my husband was running the Marriott in Athens, Greece. We were in long distance, uh, pre-kids. And I remember he called me and I was in my office and he said, did you watch the news? I said, what news? And he said, our our Marriott at the Tr- World Trade Center just got hit by a plane. I said, no way. He said, yeah, does anybody, in the, you know, because... Ashbourne, the the city where our offices were, we were the headquarters for all the hotels in Europe. And he said, you know, does anybody talk about it? Do you guys know about it? And I remember clearly picking my, you know, face from out of, you know, my little office and looking around and nothing. Everybody's still on the computer. Remember, before YouTube, before, uh, you know, when the internet still had this uh, connection, issues and and no one is looking and I said no no one no are you sure and and then he said yeah you'd better talk to our uh vice president Carl Kilberg. and I I said okay I'll go and I'm walking and I remember seeing him in, in, in a meeting and they were talking about reports and 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 I was wondering, should I interrupt? Should I, think, you know, doesn't it looks like they're talking about something completely. Yes, eventually I, I said, hey guys, something happened in New York to one of our properties. Um, I think we should check the news. And we were rolling out the TV from the kitchen because that was the way to look at news to the cafeteria. And we just turn it on to watch CNN. And we see the second plane going live and hitting the second tower. And at the time we were like, Is that the recap? Is that this? It's what, Mm. you know, your brain cannot comprehend what you are seeing. And I remember how, I clearly remember how everyone reacted to the change at that time. And I remember how I reacted, uh, which is another big insight for me, understanding that the way I react to change is not necessarily how my team react to change Mm. or People in my family and I've got to really be careful, how, the not to impose my coping mechanism to change management on other people just because it works for me. And so my mod was okay. Like there's nothing we can do. It's very sad. It just happened. But here we are in Germany. That's in work. You know, obviously we need to see how, how it's impacting our business, our hotels, our staff, and. I jumped into work mode right Mm -hmm. away, reducing risk mitigation, go, go, go. Let's see what we can do because that's in our control because I can't control what's going to happen, what's happening around me. And I remember my assistant at the time, Claudia, just kept saying again and again, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. And, And I said, Claudia, I know, but you know, let's, let's move. We have so much to do. We have to, and she was, I later I realized, Oh my God, she was in shock. She wasn't in in shock. She couldn't move on to Mm -hmm. work mode. She couldn't, she was just, um, had to go home like that day. Just I needed to more comfort her and reassure her and validate her feelings and all those things that, um, were not a second nature for me at the time. And so, um, that just, again, opened my eyes to how people are reacting differently. But um, the days that went after that, and of course we were in executive meetings and we knew we had to go into reducing staff and we knew we had to go into, because the world economy was uh, at risk as well. People thought maybe there's a third world war is about to happen. Um, people were afraid to fly. People were afraid to uh, People thought that's it. That's the end of the world. Maybe there's more attack. Maybe it's, you know, kind of the Pearl Harbor, but at 9-11, what if tomorrow there's another attack somewhere else? The world was very, very scary uh, for many, many people. and And we didn't know what the economy is going to look like. We didn't know how bad it's going to be. And I remember my boss at the time, his name is Carl Kilberg, and he, he kept telling us at, at our executive meetings because the information kept changing every day. And he said, look, guys, I can't promise you that I'm going to tell you one thing today and a different thing tomorrow, but I promise you that I will always tell you the truth. And it's, it's a sentence that I will just, I can't, I, I remember it word by word because it was mm-hmm. so impactful and it, it's still with me every day since that day that um, we don't know all the answers, uh, but that should not um, reduce our communication. especially in times of change, we need to communicate as often as possible, more than needed really, to be sure that we are transparent, even with the things we don't know about uh, because our staff, Uh, really need to hear that they need to know we can't bluff them we can't say everything is going to be okay don't you worry because that's not true not everything is going to be okay and there will be reasons to be worried but that you know if you're staying in the worry constantly you are worried um it's it's you can't move forward you can't do anything it's kind of you, you become paralyzed and 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 a slave to the fear and so um knowing that every day I'm going to get the updates and while they can be different than yesterday um I will know where I am I don't have to kind of get my brain worked out to the scenarios you know how it's like when Uh, before texting or before we can tell that somebody read our message
0: (laughs) and (laughs) three little dots,
1: the three little dots, you know, where you, let's say you send somebody um, a text or a note and you very, really important to you. Maybe, uh, maybe it was when you were uh, trying to get a date with Danielle, right back in the days and you didn't hear back and your brain started going to, we say in, in Hebrew, you know, you started to become a, a movie producer because you build these scenarios in your head. Mm-hmm. She probably this and this probably happened and she probably doesn't like me and probably and probably and I will be single forever and no one is going to love me and, and I'll never have kids. And, I'll, you know, your brain starts to go to mm-hmm. because, you, you, because you are in your head and you don't have information. And so you create new information to fill the void. And so... um that's, I think, how many people uh, feel right now. Mm. They, they create scenarios in their heads, and they're way more scary than what the movie might end up being. Um, or it be as equal to scary, but there's nothing they can do about it right now. And so living in your terror is, 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 is really... Um, Difficult for you to hear. I'm saying that my, my words again, but it's it's paralyzing. And yep. so uh, So in the leadership, I think telling what you don't know and telling what you know As much as you can is is uh, critical
0: mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're kind of on the surface around a lot of topics that I want to go deeper into Obviously what we're talking about is change and what you said earlier with the, with the surfing analogy This is about managing the change and not having the change manage you. You talked about different types of change, that being strategic, gradual, and shock. Uh, Is that all there is to know about change?
1: Okay. What
0: else do we need to know about it to understand it and its implications? And then we'll go to what you talked about, which is how different responses for different people to change. Okay.
1: So, um, what I found is that people react in a, in, in different ways, obviously. One is denial. Mm. Um, there is a way that even though people know, they see the news, they, they read it, but they are still feeling in denial. They feel there's something that tells them either this isn't, this is, you know, if I don't look at it, it just didn't happen. I mean, how many of us just wanted to, uh, get under the covers and ask someone, wake me up in six months when it's all over because <laughs> I just don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It's a denial mechanism and it has um, it has some ways to protect you. It means you are not ready yet to fully embrace and fully see and deal with what's in front of you. So it's just, it's protecting you. Um, now, if you are too long in denial, then it it's, it's an, becomes a negative. It's becoming a... Uh, you have to get out there out there, and deal with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Some people
1: react So denial is one. The other one is uh, anger. There are a lot of people who are very angry that this has happened to them or that this has happened to us. That, and, and they are in that mindset that is very resentful and it's, they're angry and it's, they're, they're becoming victim. They are playing the victim uh, in this uh, scenario. And, and, and that's, again it's important to be angry. You know, it's important to express your emotions, you know, uh, something really upsetting is happening. But again, if you're staying too long in that mode, you becoming, um, paralyzed to be able to do things that really matters or you may need to be more compassionate. You may need to uh, understand people's feelings. And, and when you're in an angry mode, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You can't support other people. And so, Another way is um, a way to react is the, um, is the confusion. A lot of people are confused. And it's not that they don't have the information. It's just the they reaction is confused. They can't, they're lost. They're just simply lost. They don't know what rules this game is now. What, what, what is that they're supposed to do? Um, and and they're in that state that is kind of they're stuck, stuck in the limbo. And when, and that was Claudia, when I was realized, I, you know, she was very confused. She just couldn't. And those neat
0: people. I could see where her reaction is different than denial, which is what I would have thought before, but it's not so much denial. It's she's confused.
1: She was confused. She was asking a lot of questions. So what's mm-hmm. going to happen? And,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and, and no matter what I provided her, uh, it was, um, she was shocked to the news, yes, but the reaction to the change, because that lasted more than that day. I mean, it was the whole week or the whole month. Uh, It was a a type of reaction that was called, we look at it as confused. Um, By the way, I'm I'm relying this information on um, a book that I read, Navigating Through Change by Harry Woodward that identifies those um, reactions. And um, and people who are stuck in the confusion, they, they, need, uh, they need information. And, it, and they need it, to, um, you know, like you say, sometimes you have to tell a kid again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And you think, oh, I said it already 10 times. Why they can't understand it? Um, but people who are in, in a confused mode, in a change environment, they need to be told that a lot in a very supportive way. Um, until they get a sense of control again, a direction uh, of where they're supposed to go. And then some people are reacting uh, based on the loss, sense of loss, they're not angry, uh, but they're very, and they're not confused, and they're not in denial, but they, are, they feel that they lost a lot, and they're very, very sad. They're sad about the world, they're sad about who's gonna get hurt, and and they're sad about their identity that is no longer relevant so you know when from a working parent you become an unemployed parent well that's a big change you know in your identity i think that's what uh, happened to my dad back in the days when he lost his job he, his identity he, he didn't know who he was if not an a director an art director he did he didn't have other titles Yes, he was a dad, he was a husband, he was a son, but his whole identity was wrapped into the the job. And when that went away, he wasn't sure who he was anymore. And those people, uh, whether they already lost their jobs or about to lose their job, um, it's really, really important to be reminded that none of us, first of all, is married to a title or a job as much as it defines you, it's not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, first and foremost, you are Chaim. I am Noah. We, we have ourselves. This is who we are. And then this thing that we do. And then there are people in our lives that we are committed to. Uh, and we have many roles and we have many hats. But that, those hats don't define us. You know, you can take it on a personal level. When a spouse leaves a spouse, you know, oh, my life is over, I'm no longer his girlfriend or his wife, or, and we're realizing that, no, there's actually life after uh, things and we can love people very much, but this shouldn't be de- defining who we are.
0: Okay, where does fear and anxiety come in? Oh,
1: I think that's how our conversation started, right? So yeah. we had the, I, I should tell it to our audience, I wanted to meet Chaim Mizrahi because he is the master of networks and I, I'm so impressed with everything that he does and he's a connector. And and he, for anyone
0: who's ever wanted to know how to properly pronounce my name, you just heard it. Thank you, Chaim, neighbor.
1: yeah, which <laughs> means life, to life. Um, Chaim's name has many, many uh, blessings and uh, my grandfather was Chaim too. And, but that's a, we can do it in a, for, a different post to, to talk about the meaning of your name and the numerical magic in your name too but um, the point is because of uh, your networking skills because it I wanted to consult with you on something that I'm working on and it took me two weeks to get this appointment with you and finally we put it in the books and you text me that maybe we should talk and meet, and I said of course And then you called and you were ready to talk business because you knew what our meeting was about. And I said to you, Chaim, hold on. We can't just jump into business. What's going on? You know, how's the news affecting you? And, And we started to sort of talk about that. And then you, I don't know if it was the first time you, you asked yourself that question, how is that affecting me? But you, you shared with me, you know, some of your concerns of what are you doing? You've been very proactive. You, you already implemented some procedures in your business that were very um, helpful, I think. And, and then you said, what about you? And I shared with me, and then we never quite got to talk to our meeting uh, subject Mm -hmm. because, we got into the topic of uh, fear and anxiety and and change. And one thing that I told you, and again, we're talking about what 12 days ago, 10 days ago, Mm -hmm. um, where we were 10 days ago, we had, we didn't have as much information. And I said that everybody knew that something bad is about to happen. Everybody felt it. Um, And it was like a big cloud over our heads, not quite sure, how is, how will that translate to me, to my specific life? Um, and it was like a big cloud. And I said, you know, that's the cloud of anxiety. It's when people are afraid of something that are not quite sure what it is. Uh, they just know it's bad. They red, they know they're supposed to be prepared. Suppo- they know they're supposed to do something, but they're but not quite sure what it is. And it's an enormous amount of emotional pressure to be in that Um, fog you don't see anywhere you just know that uh, something is about to happen or you might hit something or fall into something without seeing it and 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 then I I, I shared with you that uh, I prefer fear over anxiety because an anxiety normally uh, doesn't have an object Uh, you 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 feel the anxiousness Uh, you're anxious but you're not sure by what or how? You know, there's a big coronavirus, the economy, but you're not quite sure. But then, when you translate, if you're able to move your anxiety into fear, mm. well, fear has an object. Fear is more tangible. You can, you can be very clear. You can say, I- I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm afraid that there won't mm. be enough toilet paper for mm. me to <laughs> survive nice. the next. There, Things that and the and the more you are afraid of things that are specific that have object, you immediately dividing uh, deciding to strategize uh, a plan. Well, how will I make sure that if I am losing my job, my financial state will you know still be okay? What do I need to do now to be able to? If I'm afraid to get sick, what do I need to implement right now in my household or in you know my environment to so I don't get sick? and immediately you, your brain focused on the actions of what you're supposed to do, anxiety goes down because you get mm. a sense of control again over what needs to, to be done. And so I, I say, you know, I hope we're all gonna be fearful and, and, and of the things we know what we're afraid of so we can plan or do as much as we can than being stuck in that fog of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Just something bad is going to happen and I, I I don't know how how I can react to it.
0: And this is where you shared with me the useful tool from Steve Covey. Um, right. And and it's in the book, I believe, Good to Great?
1: Seven Habits of Highly right. Effective People.
0: I confused them.
1: Mm-hmm. Seven
0: Habits of Highly Effective People. I should know that because I went and re, re-looked at it when you mentioned this to me. But the concept is those there are circles of concern, and and what is in the circle of concern you have no control over. This is where anxiety lives, as, as you mentioned. There's a a coronavirus outbreak in the world. I'm anxious. Okay, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of being sick from it? Are you afraid of your economic circumstances? What is it that you are afraid of? And once you start that list of what you're afraid of. Now you can decide what you can influence. You can separate what you can influence versus what you cannot influence.
1: Sure. So those two circles, they're called the circle of influence and circle of concerns. And again, Stephen Covey thought of it back in the 80s. And he said most of us live in a big bubble that is called the circle of concern. And in that bubble, there is a small bubble, small circle that is called the circle of influence. Now the circle of concern is all the things that we are worried about. We are worried about, but we have no control over. And that's when the anxiety lives, and that's when the negative energy lives, because there are plenty of things in, in the world to be worried about. There are kids starving in Africa. There um, There is a coronavirus all over us. Um, a lot of fear and a lot of things are in the circle of concern. Our parents, if they live far away from us, um, you know, it's worrisome. How how are they managing? Can they go out? Can they? A lot of worries. But then when we, the circle of influence, oftentimes it's it's the smaller one because it's the things that we normally do that we have control over. But once we look at the items in the circle of concern and break it down to, to segments, and looking at each one and saying, okay, I worry about, and, and, and in particular, I don't want to talk about the coronavirus because. Um, right, because this is actually know, quite the, useful yeah. for
0: everyday life. Right, so. Thinking, I was sorry, I'm going to just jump in for a second. I was thinking about two people living their lives, and one person is walking around, and they, the, the weight of that circle of concern is looming over them. And they walk around and what kind of mood they're in and what kind of conversations they're having and what kind of uh, signals they're radiating to and from the people that they, that they love and they're around. And then I imagined a person that lives in a vibrant uh, circle of influence where anything they can influence in a positive way, that's where they spend their time and energy and thoughts and, and that person to me just was beaming and radiating and smiling and the kind of person that people wanna be around. So to say that this isn't just about the coronavirus is absolutely true because this will carry on, for anyone listening, beyond that.
1: Mm -hmm. It's about proactivity. It's about being uh, really effective in your life. Maybe not efficient, but certainly effective. Mm -hmm. um, Because once you have a concern, and I'm just going back to the hungry kids in Africa, or the poor soldiers in Afghanistan, or will there be a war? What's gonna happen in Iran? What's gonna happen in Iraq? And we live in those areas where we have no control, but but it's a concern, it's consuming us. And then if I ask myself, well, what can I do about the soldiers in Afghanistan? You know, I worry about them, but what can I do? And then you start again, it's to think, well, I can write them a letter. I can send them a care package. I can write the local governor or or the senators uh, about what I think should be done on a government level. Or I can write the president of the United States of America. I can write the Mike Pompero, the secretary of state. I can do so many things that could reduce my concern and make me feel more active. And I can start a whole support group. I can start a GoFundMe. I can... There's so much I can do about my worry about the soldiers in Afghanistan. I mean, I can start volunteering and helping kids of soldiers. I can help wives of, and, and spouses of soldiers. I can, so much I can do. And then the more you focus on that uh, circle of influence, uh, a magic happens because it just becomes bigger. And the more, the bigger it gets, the less space uh, there is for the circle of influence becomes very thin. Yeah. yeah. Concern. Sorry. And so, so people who are effective uh, in their lives oftentimes do live much more in the circle of influence. They just immediately automatically start to translate a worry into an influence and then a concern into an influence. And when you have enough practice in that, you realize that you actually have influence on much more mm-hmm. than you ever thought you did. And, and that's, that's very empowering. And that helps you, um, you know, solve some big problems, not just for yourself, but, but that's how big changes happen in the world. That's how great innovation happens in the world when you keep on trying to, to focus on the solution versus on the problem.
0: So what just came to me is when you talked about when you practice this and you have more practice and I think it is something that you can practice and it starts out with very simple, take a sheet of paper, draw a line in the middle, write down on the left, things that concern you on the right, what you can influence, focus on what you can influence. But then going back to something you said earlier about there's who I am, the things I do and the roles I hold, the more, I practice this, the more I practice being a person of influence and putting my energy and thoughts into things that I can influence, it starts cutting through just the roles that I hold and the things that I do, it starts really becoming who I am.
1: Mm -hmm. Very true. And you know what this coronavirus is teaching us all? Actually every crisis, and especially economical recession crises, it it teaches you that um, it's not really about what you have, and it's not about what you do mm-hmm. it's about who you are and and i think that's a really good exercise for us to because i think many of us lived in what we have what house we have what car we drive what job we have what title we have what things we have what vacation we have and all the things that we have and and mm-hmm. and those start to define us as well and then then there's the level of the things that I do. Well, my job provides me opportunities to do this, this, and this. And these things that I do are are, are important as well. But at the end of the day, it's when all those may be taken away from you, mm-hmm. by choice or not, there is who you are. And who you are affects uh, the kind of person and the kind of legacy and the kind of influence you and footmarks that you leave in the world. And I think uh, we're all gonna get hit one way or another. Life is not gonna be the same for any of us living right now in this world. Um, Nothing will be exactly the same as before. It's gonna take years to recover the the mental implications of the social distancing, um, the loss of jobs, the, the, the poverty and the recession and the other things that will come away. But we still, I think, um, can control what we want our family to say about us the day that, you know, the arbitrary, when someone is going to write our obituary, what do we want to be written there? Because mm-hmm. for everyone, it's going to say in March 2020, the coronavirus hit America. And then what? Mm-hmm. Do we want... Um, our arbitrary to say and that's it <laughs> we collapse with this with that we fell into despair we we never rose again we we became depressed and we couldn't move or we want to to also write yeah there was a challenging time march 22 2020 and it lasted till summer 2020 but after that we kept on going, we kept on building, we kept on creating. And, and this is when I actually feel very, somehow in a very funny way, it's empowering me because I know that no matter what what's gonna happen in the next few months, um, that cannot define my life. I won't allow it to define my life. It's gonna be a chapter. It's gonna be a little, um, hopefully a bump. And that in the big spectrum, uh, we're gonna look back and say, "Wow, that was the time that I was able to reinvent myself.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: was the time that I was able to support my community more than ever. That was the time when I started to learn new things that I never thought that I will need to learn. Uh, that was the time that I really fought really hard." so I can still provide for my family and I did anything that I could, whether it's in my job or a different job that I had to take or whatever I had to do that I um, not just survived, but I thrived uh, during that time. And, and I think we all, every one of us in our own little world, um, if we focus on that thinking, uh, we're going to find out that, you know what, if I lost my job, then that was the year that I dedicated myself to something else. That was the year that I uh, spent more time than ever with my kids and, and taught them new skills and sh- you know, mm-hmm. shared with them new things or something. Because at the end of the day, even if we all come out of this uh, period or recession with just our underwear and T-shirt on because we lost everything, we still have ourselves. We have who we are. And we can build everything, we can buy, we can, you know, we can, we'll rise. Things will be okay eventually. And so as long as we have our, our health and ourselves and our family and our friends and the, the identity of that we are way more than what our job says and way more of the things we have, because those things could go away. But uh, who we are will be uh, what will carry us through.
0: So I just have a couple thoughts that I want to see if there's anything to add on. What we've talked about, again, just kind of separating things down to uh, a level where we can influence them. When you know, we talk about all these things happening around us, what are some other or additional thoughts, if you want to share any, on how I can manage myself? How does a person manage themselves first?
1: Uh, from my experience, is you got to really clean your house. But not, I'm not talking about... The, the cleaning of the floors and the counters and the sanitize, sanitizing gels. I'm talking about your mind. That's the first thing and you gotta clean. You gotta well when you identify what, what's what's blocking you because um those two words that I shared with you earlier uh they were blocking me. I in a way was refusing to understand that there's a certain energy that comes with it. And so you, you first of all, identify what's blocking you. What's this, what, what thoughts do you have that you, you may even not say it, but you think it, mm. are, are you feeling like a, a victim? Are you, you know, is it all happening to you and poor thing you, you have to now change your, the way you do things Mm -hmm. or are you going into, oh, I get to do things or I choose to do things, you know, Um, it's having that self-awareness. And I think everyone, if you know, the first thing is just clean your mind, realize that uh, the, the negative stories and narratives that you're feeding yourself and, and change them, change them fast, because those, it's like, those can kill, really kill you. They, they, they you will get out of the game very fast if you're not in, in that uh, positive, even though it's negative, mm-hmm. uh, mindset. So I think that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, um, so you know what, actually I'm gonna share something that Sean shared with our team. Um, a few weeks ago, and he said, "You know, the first thing is stay calm. <laughs> to really stay calm, <laughs> you have to start with staying calm, because without being stay, you know, calm, you really cannot function. And then, then the next thing is is stay safe. What do whatever you take, you first take care of your safety, take care of your health. You 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 think you are sick? You sneeze? You you know? Check it out. You know? Find you know? Do the vitamins." Sleep well, eat well, exercise, meditate, take care of yourself. And the next thing, uh, and it's in, inevitable, is the reduced risk mitigation. What is that you can do to reduce um, the risk? And, and in my household, I immediately my husband and I sat down and said, one of us, God forbid, knock on wood, you know, do whatever. But if one of us, let's say, lose our income, what is that we need to do now before it happens that we are prepared for that? And so we have three cars. My daughter is a teenager and I have a car, my husband has a car. And we said, you know what? The first thing we're going to do, we're going to go down to two cars. We are self-quarantined anyway. We have nowhere to, to drive. What would happen if for three months uh, we'll be in two, two cars instead of three? It was easy to do. And then uh, I had a conversation with my daughters and sort of without freaking them out but telling them look we are this is there's a new normal coming up and this is what it looks like and in that normal just like the governor said only essential businesses can operate that means for us only essential things we are going to consume and so my daughter's like oh i really want to go and buy this and that and change you know and i said is it essential? She said, yeah. what's essential? I said, Do you, can you live without it? She said, mom, it's only $5. I said, it's irrelevant. Can you live without it? Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah. I said, well, then it's not essential. And so I think that's also something to sort of educate our children, especially those who grew up in this big bubble of, of, of really good economy where, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to give our kids everything possible and, and they need to also realize and, it, and, we, it, and we will do injustice to them if we will pretend that nothing changed and that their life stayed exactly the same and because we're trying to protect them. And so that was one thing. Uh, so, so the risk mitigation uh, reducing this in our own household was a good exercise because that's when you re- really, really realize how much unnecessary things you consume. And so that's one. I think everyone can, can do that definitely for their businesses. It's, it's a must, but also for their, you know, it's a good inventory to check what, mm-hmm. what's not necessary. And then the next thing that he suggested we do is um, stick to the strategy. Because I think that's the time when sometimes people just start to shoot all over because they're panicking yeah. and, and going into million directions and, and spread thing because they are just acting from a sense of panic. And I think in every business strategy, there is um, a DNA for the business. And while many things can change, um, the strategy stays the same. I mean, you can change the tactics, but don't freak out on the strategy. And so, for example, uh, one of my uh, friends here in town, um, he's one of the young professionals in Edge. Well, he, sell, he used to sell uh, pizza, forgot the name, I'm sorry, uh, to hotels, like delicious Dona Italia pizzas to hotels. Fantastic, fantastic, delicious. 95% of his business is the big hotels. And so it's he, he was in the B2B business. Uh, but guess what? Last week, 95% of his clients no longer can actually continue their orders with him. And for an unlimited time, they don't know when they're going to be back officially. And so he while he still sells the pizza, they still have the business, but he had to change the tactics. So now mm-hmm. from B2B, is now B2C, and he completely changed his operation to approach actually to thrive on the families who are stuck at home and yeah. use good food and so forth. And so that's one thing: um, is stick to your strategy, but but obviously you gotta change the tactics. And then the last thing that he said was, uh, "Seek for opportunities of growth," and that's the that's the part that it's kind of oxymoron. What growth? we are in a recession i mean people buy people want invest people want de- donate and i mean you can fill up that circle of concerns with a lot of things that are negative right or you think you know you create a narrative but you haven't checked it really but what if you drive what what if you operate on a narrative that there is uh, a hidden hidden treasure box in this situation and, and that treasure box is actually called growth and expansion. And as unlikely as, it's, as it sounds, uh, some, some businesses can actually turn into growth. And so we have to find what is our niche, where can we fill a void, where we can answer a need or untapped potential and, and seek to grow. And it might be not exactly of what we did before, but at this wave, at the moment, there are opportunities and so that helps again it goes back with the circle of influence if you focus on that um, your chances to survive this um, are bigger
0: that was fantastic and a great way i think to end i was going to ask another question but i think you somewhat answered it and i'm going to ask this of everybody i think from from this day on how are you preparing for the recovery or what are some of the things that you are doing to prepare for the recovery?
1: Okay. I'll
0: tell you why I'm going to start asking that as you're, as you're kind of thinking about it. Yeah. You know, I think in the next, however long this lasts, several weeks, couple months, whatever it is, if someone isn't thinking about that, I want them to think about that. Because I, I personally believe that there will be a recovery that will be just as dramatic as the onset of this virus. But if they're not thinking about it, they should be. And the way that I'm asking the question, how are you preparing for the recovery? It's presumptive that there's going to be a recovery. And I I want whoever I talk to to be in that frame of mind personally.
1: So how do we prepare for the day after? So even when the coronavirus will be over, and we're still going to have to deal with the implications of, of, of this tsunami. And... I think uh, I can tell you on a, on, a, on a business level with the IAC in particular, one of the new platforms that we rolled out is called the IAC Care. And besides all our programs, it's the IAC at home, ichome.org. This is where all our programs are listed for people who are at home but can still mm-hmm. be connected and engage in the community. But the IAC Care in particular has an option for people to, in a sort of very quiet way uh, fill up a form where for all their needs what 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 do they need because the needs in their community will be very different for their different people Mm. and then there's an opportunity for other people to fill up of what they can give or you know the volunteers and those who need support and those who need to get support and those who can give support now the support can be it doesn't have to be money support can be uh, a skill that i have and i can paid for to someone Mm -hmm. Um, and then we we started and we're doing it nationwide but people put the zip codes and then it goes back to the regions and then we can you know facilitate that and so um the day after there's going to be a lot of people in need need of uh food need of uh jobs need of uh basics uh or or needs of friends or needs there's going to be needs and we can now we can build that uh, caliber and cadre actually of people who can uh, you can still need something and you can still give something. Mm-hmm. So the pool of the needs and the pool of the uh, providers. And so I think that is what we should do, or what could happen for the day after, because we will leave this virus effect for a longer period of time. While the economy is recovering, while things getting better, it's going to take a while until we get to the point of where they were two weeks ago. And so until then, it's going to be all about community. From, from social distancing, we're going to be, we, it doesn't mean we are lonely, you know, we still are part of something bigger, we're part of community here in Las Vegas, we are extremely fortunate of a really close and tight community uh that supports one another we've seen it after many crises uh we shall rise again uh we saw it after the october shooting we, we'll see it here as well in um, in few months when we are out of this corona virus and um so the day after will be more more social uh connectivity I think we're all ca- going to come out of our homes and we are going to hug and we are going to kiss and we are going to um, look at it as, as a, just a time, a little bump in our life and we will recover. We're definitely going to recover. We're going to rely on one another. We're going to help one another. And that's, I think that's what America does best. Um, there's a great sense of a responsibility and, and accountability for one another. And I think um, this is what the day after is going to look like. But our businesses may look a bit different. Like we, we, we may have to really take those changes that we are going to experience in the next few months and, and really look at what are the opportunities here. And will, will my business be exactly how it was before? Maybe not. And you know what? It won't be a bad thing. So just stay open. It, stay shouldn't,
0: open. it shouldn't be a bad thing anyway. Yes. I'm glad I asked the question. If somebody wants to be a provider or if somebody has a need, where do they find IAC Cares?
1: Okay, so the website is IACcare.org. And so we have the website that uh, it's IAChome.org where we uh, put all our events. And I believe that the IAC Care is there as well. And yes, so IAC Care,
0: C-A-R-E. Yes. Okay, so org.
1: Yeah, but you know what, Chaim? You can say a few words while I check it once again, okay?
0: I have nothing else to say, Noah.
1: Okay, here, I have the <laughs> This is what it is. It's IAChome.org, and there, there is a way to find it. The easiest way to find it is actually on Facebook. So just go to our Facebook, I org, IEC care, and that's where it is.
0: Perfect. And I'll put a link in as well in the, in the post.
1: Oh, that would be great.
0: I mean, we've covered an enormous amount, more than I actually thought we would get to so much more. In fact, um, really the, the theme of it all is, is change and how to manage the change rather than have, the change manage you. So I have to say, Noah, thank you so much for for doing this.
1: It's a, um, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity, uh, Chaim. I wish you and all the people who are listening to us today uh, to stay on top of that wave, to figure out how to become flexible, and and know that. Um, There's a nice beach afterward where we can sip on pina colada and enjoy the sunshine and uh, and the view.
0: Very cool. Thank you, Noah.
1: Okay. Thanks.
0: Thanks everyone for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what you heard, please leave us a comment, leave us a review. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.